Hey everyone, I'm Joe. And I'm Jamil. And we're Brothers Who Teach. Welcome everyone to episode 31 of Brothers Who Teach. Jamil, we had a bit of a hiatus, but we are back on the airwaves. Yeah, and that fit perfectly with my spring break. I've got one week of it in the books. It's been very relaxing, so I'm I'm feeling ready for this pod. How have you been this week? I'm good. I am just starting my spring break. All right. Friday, Friday was our last day. We're both kicking um, back. Yeah, the uh, the international kids are out of the house. I am enjoying myself. Oh, awesome. That, yeah. That's got to be great from, that's like a double break, right? Where it's not just, you don't have classes to go to and stuff, but you no longer have kids to worry about in, in your house. That's right. That is correct. So it, <laughs> it does certainly feel like the weight of the world is off my shoulders. It feels really good. Good. Uh, I should also mention, uh, we are recording this on March 11th and just want to shout out our mom. Happy birthday to you today. Yeah, you still need to call. You'll hear this. You still need to call her. That I'm planning on it. Okay, (laughs) I'm planning on it. Yeah, and this is also my little gift to her. Happy birthday, mom! Love it. Happy birthday, mom! All right, so Jamil, what are yeah? What are we talking about today? Yeah, well, first I'll introduce uh, our guest. His name is James Euler. He's one of uh, my colleagues. He's one of, if not the longest tenured faculty at Christ School right now. Second longest. Second longest. Okay. And he is a history teacher. He teaches a couple of things. He teaches humanities for eighth grade. Um, and the reason we have him here today is he also teaches and has taught um, a semester of African-American history. And we're bringing him because the topic we're going to talk about today is AP African-American history. And we want to um, get some of his knowledge on that. So first off, welcome to the show, James, and thanks for being here. Thanks, uh, Jamil. Uh, always, uh, you young guy, you young guys that are solid teachers. Uh, I like how you have all the interesting ways to reach out to everybody and connect. Uh, so it's a pleasure to be here. I've I've listened to one episode, so maybe this will be the breakout one. That yeah, episode thirty one goes big. Um, but I, I should say uh, it's actually. AP African American Studies is that course. Okay. Um, which is which does have a little bit different than like uh that what I teach African American history. Also haven't been involved with the college board and AP US history. I'm somewhat familiar with some of these things. Yeah, so. you've grade you've graded AP tests, correct? Yeah, and I uh, served on the standard setting committee for the AP US redesign, uh, which was probably the most interesting. Uh, professional development side job sort of thing I I did. So I got to kind of see behind the scenes how it works. Well, it's funny. We'll get into the topic in just a second, but it's funny that James is my colleague, but he's actually met both of us. Um, When we were on our barbecue tour of North Carolina, we wanted to stop in Asheville and I had just been hired from Christ School. So I hadn't moved in or anything, but I figured, well, this is where I'm going to be living the next few years. So maybe I can stop by and find a place to stay. And luckily there was an open apartment and Joe and I just brought sleeping bags and slept on the floor. But the person who let us in and who greeted us there was James. So he actually, I thought you you looked familiar. Yeah. There's a little less. (laughs) uh, (laughs) It's good to see you again. But uh, happy to, happy to help provide shelter and uh, 
uh, you know, I think you guys got to steal some mattresses from down the hall. So maybe it's a little That's more true. comfortable than the floor, but, yeah. uh, yeah, um, we greatly appreciated it. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but I'll let you get to it. Yeah. All right. So this obviously is another topic of brothers who teach trying to stay with the times as this is something that's been in the news a lot recently, mostly because of a certain governor in Florida who is not a big fan of uh, AP African-American studies. And so there's this sense of, well, there's a lot in this that's not, you know, whatever, pure education or it's indoctrination or something. So we wanted to bring someone on who could tell us a little bit about the course itself and if anything that DeSantis is saying about it is true or and, and just in general, like, how should we think about a course like this? So um, ba- basically, DeSantis has said black black history in general shouldn't be taught as a standalone course. It should be taught whatever, along with it, just as part of your U.S. history course or something. So my question first for you, James, is, is it is AP African-American studies a standalone versus does it kind of incorporate broader U.S. history into it? Well, it, being a studies class, it's more of combining uh, art, literature, um, so kind of your English, your fine arts, your music, uh, kind of an overall humanities sort of approach. Um, that's usually kind of the difference when it's history versus studies. Sure. Uh, but I think in sort of the answer to the question as a standalone it would be wonderful if we could teach U.S. history with the depth and breadth of covering everything, but that would probably require students taking three to four years yeah. of U.S. history alone. Um, so, how much is it a standalone when, I, when you teach African, uh, when you teach uh, U.S. history or AP U.S. history? Like, is there's African-American history in it. There's Chinese-American history in it. There's women's history in it. There's regional history in it. There is, um, you know, but it's kind of like you as a teacher, you always have to choose your coverage. Um, So, you know, if um, like our schools offered a semester elective modern conflicts, World War One, World War Two terrorism, Cold War, like then you can take something that maybe you only could spend two or three weeks on in a general survey of U.S. history, and now you're expanding your depth to that. Um, So it's all a degree of how much depth you want to go in. Um, And it doesn't have to be, uh, it can be, we choose a theme that's based on identity, like um, African-American studies. But it's the same way if you're choosing Southern history, Appalachian history, um, or topically like World War II, the Cold mm-hmm. War, things like that. So I think that is looking at it as a standalone, you know, DeSantis's job is to get elected and to be a politician. He's making largely arguments that are supposed to have some sort of a political appeal. Mm-hmm. You know, me... I'm a trained, you know, I have a background as a historian. So my arguments are going to be more about how do you, the 
write history? How do you take a yeah. pedag- your pedagogical approaches to teaching history? So that's two very different sorts of things. So um, it's like saying it's a standalone course, he's trying to portray that as something that's bad. You're saying there are standalone courses, standalone courses all over the place. It allows you to focus and get in-depth study that you normally wouldn't get from like surveys exactly yeah like i mean um i mean if you're a student if you're taking an upper level history course in college you are taking something you can choose the civil war you can choose uh women's history in the 1800s you can choose like uh where i was in grad school three different surveys that cover the history of baseball (laughs) you know of and and as a cultural uh component to u.s history there's all different lenses that all adds to our better synthesis and understanding of our own past um and i you know so there's nothing to me that it's no different in that um it's just it's easier politically when we start talking about identity and the ways in which we want to try to divide our society in order to say you're on a Republican team or a Democrat team, which I think is more of where he is coming from. Yeah. So I I do have a quote from DeSantis about this topic and the reason why he didn't want to approve the course. And, And his quote says, our core curriculum requires the teaching of black history, but real black history. I mean, things that really matter. This course had things like queer theory, it had things like abolishing prisons, intersectionality, it advocated for reparations and things. That's political activism. If that's what you want to do on your own time, it's a free country, but we're not going to use tax dollars in the state of Florida to put that into our schools because it's trying to educate, it's not trying to educate kids, it's trying to impose an agenda on kids. I guess my question would be like, isn't every teacher in some sort of way going to push an agenda, whether it be an English teacher selecting the books that they choose their kids to read? Like you can't teach a course without putting your imprint in some sort of way on it. So what, how do you teach a class without having at least somewhat of an agenda in a class? Well, it depends on where you're like, you can have something where a teacher is trying to, impose a certain way of thinking or a certain political philosophy. Um, now, I would say that that's probably not a good approach. That, that's not when you're doing that and you're teaching or writing history, that's n- you're not producing good history. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the same point, I have to choose which things uh, I'm going to focus on, which things I'm not going to focus on. I'm lucky that this is a senior elective. So the students, I ask them their input of what they want to study. Uh, You're talking about for your for your right AP, now for my for, for African American African American history. Your semester, it's class. a semester. Yeah, it could easily be taught in a year. Yeah, it and I wouldn't. You know, I I, I kind of and the way I always do things um, as a historian is I choose certain themes that I can trace from the very beginning all the way to the present. Um, And part of that is I don't think a good history course has to get to the present or has to have some sort of understanding of how this fits into our present context. Now, 
the quote you read from DeSantis, DeSantis, I'm assuming, was referring to the first piloted version of the curriculum. Um, there, that then there was the updated version. The it did have a number of things in the last unit that um, once you got past the civil rights sort of period, then there was a document that the students had to read that was uh, like black queer theory. There was some documents on intersectionality. There were topics of covering the war on drugs, imprisonment, mm -hmm. police brutality. Those were topics. Those were not, there was not anything in it that was suggesting anything other than discussing the topic. Um, the, according to the head of the college board, they removed these things between the first piloted version uh, that was people have been teaching this year and the one next year. Uh, and I would totally agree with what he said is that this, all of the theory was too much for uh, high school students to handle. That if you were in your third year in college, that would make more sense. Um, but I have a, my sort of bigger issue with all of that. Uh, I went to Ohio University and I was in the Contemporary History Institute there. And I, I think we got, we were really lucky. We were trained by people, by historians and political scientists and journalists who were uh, asking theoretically and methodologically, how do we approach history that is still unfolding? Mm -hmm. uh, history that's still going on. And this was really started by them during the Cold War. And I think a lot of uh, what I've noticed is that a lot of people, a lot of that training that I got is probably, there's a lot of that kind of missing, I think, in there. Because it didn't seem to me like they they didn't know how to handle the post-civil rights era and put it in some sort of context. And can we go back real quick to yeah. you, when they, when he said it was too much for high schoolers, he doesn't mean it was too political. He means like the content was too difficult or too complex. Correct. That the yeah. that the theoretical aspects of literary criticism or artistic criticism of of black queer theory or intersectionality that it was over their head. It sounds and over it, it's my head. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 somewhat over all of our heads. And my my own students. When this was all in the news, they asked me all about this. Well, why would they include this? And I was trying to explain to them how it's an offshoot of sort of the fear, you know, sort of black power theory of, you know, how do we study? I'll just give an example to illustrate it. If we take like the Constitution and we take um, all of the different state laws about slavery, it doesn't say the word slavery in it. Um, there's all sorts of coded words. And if you take the slave codes in the South or the black codes in the North that were written into state laws, how are you supposed to study them if they're not using the words right. that 
the language that we use. So in the 70s, when black scholars started to take this approach of how do we find out what they really meant, that's what they had to do. Mm -hmm. um, and when things had to, when things were either cryptically written or hidden from history, um, that's where these theoretical approaches um, might be useful. But at the same time, if we take them so far and try to find blackness or try to find queerness or so on and so forth, where it's not necessarily there, then you're going to produce bad history. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think this is complex. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's lit, lit theory. It's high level thinking. Um, and it's not what your run of the mill people outside of academia um, and even in high school, you just dabble in this. Um, so, be, you know, it's easier to just kind of dismiss it rather than really dialogue with it or, or understand when it might be valuable yeah. to use it. And, um, that, and that was that was from the first pilot, which I think you talked about before we got on the pod. DeSantis actually had a year that he could have addressed all these things. Yeah, and in a, fact, they got corrected over time. It's not like the, the version that's been published now got adjusted from what DeSantis said. It, it had been being adjusted the whole year. So they put out February 2022, they put out the curriculum that it was very much kept closed just to the 50 schools that were doing this pilot. Um, and then it came out it was released at some point, but by the time it was out, people could get their hands on mm -hmm. it. Then they wrote, they updated it February 1st, 2023. Um, so a month ago to where they eliminated all of the, a lot of the stuff from the fourth unit that had a lot of this theory. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they were asked in the newspaper, the college board, uh, uh, the person in charge of all this, the college board said, you know, this was too much. It didn't, this was, most of our teachers complained about this, said this doesn't make sense in a history classroom. Now, all those changes were actually made, the, it was published February 1, um, but all those changes were made, I believe it was December 22nd, was their mm. final meeting before Christmas. So, you know, DeSantis could have been talking about or criticizing this any of the time during throughout the school year, mm -hmm. but they had the old one. He was everything that Joe read was criticizing the old one. That's not really in the new one explicitly. You know, you want to, there, there is some room of if what's the different experience of a African-American woman. Yeah. Um, what's the different, you know, I think it's like, you think about, James Baldwin, if you're a teacher, it's important to know that he's African-American. Mm -hmm. It's also important to know, which I didn't until very recently, that he was gay. Yeah, um, That tells us more about his writing and what he experienced. And, uh, you know, when you talk about things to a student like that, that's how you approach it with a high school student. You don't talk about intersexu intersexuality and its theory. Yeah. Um, because it's only going to um confuse them right. more um right. so uh i think i yeah. addressed what you yeah. were saying but thanks for thanks that, for and then some that. thank you yeah. appreciate it well so i i wanted to dig a little bit not i haven't dug as far as you have but i i checked a couple articles that 
people had looked at the curriculum and here's what we found and all that stuff. And mm-hmm. one I've read, of the, I've read yeah. both the curriculums. Nice. Like word for word. Uh, yeah. So, so Politico, <laughs> they put out one that, that they also were kind of trying to dis disarm the whole debate and say, there's not a lot that's problematic in this at all. Um, did you find anything that either you thought was maybe going to be too difficult for students or seemed a little bit political or if not, <laughs> what things that are still in there can people who want to stoke the culture war, what can they latch on to still that's on there? Or is it really clean now? I think, well, I mean, I, I think it's who could on the new curriculum, it, it seemed like what they tried to do. So the, the original curriculum was like 35, 40 pages long. The okay. second one I was 120, something <laughs> like, I mean, wow. it was, it, it was so, and what it kind of did, what they, what it looked like to me, and this is just solely my interpretation of what they did, was they're like, you know what? If they're going to fight us over every little thing, then we're just going to lay out everything <laughs> the teacher gets yeah. to do in the classroom. Yeah. And every, pri- and, it, and it is, it is a very well developed series of primary sources that address the African American experience at different points in time throughout American history. I think they like over, they might've over explained themselves to try to be, this is our way of diffusing the culture war around this. Um, But I mean, I, I don't, I don't know Mm -hmm. if that's what they did. I think that again, my observation about the more recent stuff, you know, it tends to be when it's 200 years ago, it doesn't be, it's not political to us, Mm. you know, and in America, when it's 50 years ago, it's almost not political to us. And, you know, to even me at 48 and you guys and definitely our students, the civil rights movement is like growing up for me, it was, you know, just before me. Yeah. But for everyone else, it seems like ancient history. And you're saying it's like it should be accepted as as historical fact and uh, not debated. So like people are more comfortable yes. with that. Like um, people don't it doesn't become part of today's politics. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is, is that if you're really looking at a good again, it's African-American studies. So you're incorporating art and literature and a little bit of art and lit criticism in there. As a historian, I would have, what I like about it is it's basically like, look, the United States had a revolution for its independence and freedom, but not everybody got that independence and freedom. And if you look at the literature that the primary sources that they're putting in from that era, you know, that's what Phyllis Wheatley and uh, Benjamin Banneker, that's what they were talking about in the revolutionary period. And you can kind of carry that through with the cotton gin. Slavery gets essentially resurrected in the South. And then you have another generation that is mobilizing if you think of the abolitionist movement being the first step of the civil rights movement, and then you have the civil war and reconstruction 
it ends slavery. They've kind of, you know, African-American history is really like, I always say it's, it's two steps forward, one step back. Mm. You have, and you, and you have 10 years where African-Americans are truly free, where they have rights. There are groups that are working against that, but they're being stopped by the union army. Mm -hmm. But it's this progress of trying to gain the same thing that, everyone was fighting for in the American revolution. Mm -hmm. um, and then that just goes in different angles of how do we do that? Do we do it through a political method, nonviolent? Do we confront them in some sort of political way or do we choose violence or do we have some sort of black nationalism where we need to create our own nation? And those things that, have all of those things are have elements before the civil war before slavery was over that you can trace all the way through through uh booker t washington versus wb du bois mm. um versus marcus garvey you know martin luther king versus malcolm x in yeah. the next generation and you can see the debates they're still playing yeah. out with black lives matter um and others today so as a historian, I like to trace that all the way through. Yeah. I think this course, to get back to your original point, I, I think they kind of have a hard time figuring out how to contextualize the issues of today. Mm. So if you can take issues of incarceration, war on drugs, how race is used in a cryptic way, even though we are past the civil rights era. We now have the issue of our voting rights going to get rolled back. How is this still playing out? Mm -hmm. It's not so scary when you realize that people have been fighting for the same thing, for the same thing when we think of all of Americans fighting the British for this. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand the culture war side of it, but I think that's oftentimes because we're only looking at the last five years rather than mm -hmm. the last than having some sort of context of 25, 50, 100, our entire history, yeah. how this fits in. I think it becomes easy to think about this is not something to be worried about when you think of, I, I think it becomes easier to think about that way when I consider that it's an AP course. And what I mean is like any AP class that I've taken, what you've said is like, it's so driven by primary sources. Mm -hmm. And the whole point of the course is not to, skew your thinking. I mean, AP European history, like I didn't, I don't know, like I didn't adopt the philosophies of the French revolution when I was taking that course, but like you explore them, you read about what these different people were thinking. And it's, it's, it's more, I guess, I don't know if this is the right word, but like, it's more meta than that. It's not about, right. do you agree with this person? It's like, you're reading this paragraph. Can you identify what their thesis is? You know, who's going to agree with this? Who's, who's not going to agree with this? It's all an exercise in like critical thinking. And like you said, you, you just named like five or six different people with wildly different ideas. So how can you say a textbook is indoctrinating you when literally the people in the textbook all have different ideas? It's not one cohesive thought. No, you're exactly right. Like, I mean, there is, we can't just choose, you know, part of the way of America's past 
the important part of our political culture is basically saying, screw you to the government. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but we oftentimes only like it when the people we like yeah. have their approach, you know, right. to saying, screw you to the government, you know, and anyone who tells me otherwise, like January 6th, right. Like they might, you know, there might be more people that are, that think differently than black lives matter at the time, but there's an element of both of those groups that are saying uh, that are saying going back to saying just like the U S mm. or just like the Ameri- the colonists once said to the British, screw you. Let's, yeah. you know, I want my own government. The government's right. not serving me. And I, and I, and there's for African-Americans, there's been different pathways to try to yeah. force that change. Um, and we can kind of categorize them to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're teaching a U.S. history course, you have to water that down a lot more because you you don't have the time right. to show all the details of how this happens in every period. Yeah. Um, you know, unless you're going to teach U.S. history for three years. Right. You know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think about, too, like gun control, like the general sense of don't take my guns is now kind of a, a white Republican thing, but, you know, do they feel the same if we go back and look at like the black Panthers exactly? and, and they wanted guns and they wanted to be able to use those to protect to themselves. And, yeah. Yeah. And uh, out of the, there is uh the, you're exactly right. It's like, you're choosing who you're, when you get politics involved, it's going to become more about who are you afraid of that, you can win people over by creating that fear. Yeah. You know, that that's often the tactic. Yeah. What would you say? Uh, and I think you touched on this a little bit. So if you just want to summarize, you can, but like when people ask you, why do we have a course on one race of people or like, why are we having a either out of Christ school, the African-American history course, or why do we even need AP African-American studies? How would you answer that? Well, I mean, I think for, let's start with the second part of that question. Okay. Uh, AP African-American studies, I mean, like, it's an elective. It's a choice. Yeah. I mean, at least at our school, African-American history is also a choice. Mm-hmm. My response to students usually is, what can you tell me about Robert Smalls, David Walker? You know, what can you tell me about Benjamin Banneker? These are people who were important it may be to one group maybe to one locale or i mean benjamin banneker's right up there interacting with the rest of the founding fathers and how much do you know about these people i don't know you should exactly um i mean but but there's nothing to be ashamed of in that either so you can kind of take this i'm at the ap u.s history reading with a group of my friends a couple years ago, and uh, must, and we're all talking, and and someone asked the question, "How many of you knew about the Tulsa riots, mm. the nineteen nineteen uh, Tulsa? Uh, I mean, essentially massacre." And I was the only one in the group that knew about it before, sort of the two thousand nineteen centennial where this was yeah like almost over documentaried uh if this is there yeah. is such a thing and i said if i hadn't started teaching african-american history i wouldn't know it either mm-hmm. 
there is plenty of women's history in the 1800s that I do not know. Um, you know, and there is plenty of, there's plenty of world history mm. that I don't know. So I, I think that, um, for African American history, for women's history, for a lot of the identity histories, it's the same story there as everybody else, but their attaining of their rights is happening at a slower pace. Um, yeah. so, so I think, I think I did hit both of those mm -hmm. questions. Why is that important? Yeah. I mean, it, these are important components and I, I think it, you know, it's just like anything else. It's more learning. It's more awareness for the most part, these things historically had gotten left out of textbooks mm -hmm. and you don't even have to go that far back in time, uh, especially if you're dealing with native Americans. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can say that teaching African-American history 10 years ago versus today, I'm teaching totally different stuff. Wow. Everybody kind of knows uh, it, it kind of developed in many ways it developed in reverse chronological chronological order there were the the people we knew well of the civil rights era of the tuskegee airmen the 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 guys that wrote you know at the time of wb du bois mm -hmm. and uh a philip randolph and you know madam cj walker but when you get to the period kind of the antebellum period before the civil war and the revolutionary period, a lot of the voices that were written down were just ignored for yeah. so long that historians have really done a good job uh, cultivating that era. I think in the last 20 years where we can kind of really now see that, that voice pushing for freedom was not something that started with Martin Luther King, it was not something that started with W.B. Du Bois. It was something they were arguing about the same time the colonists were arguing about it mm -hmm. with Britain. Yeah. Joe, you want to weigh in? Uh, well, when you when you talked about like why do we have to have a African American history course, like this this last week, I can think of a couple students who were like, why do we have an International Women's Day? When's international men's day or uh the last like why why are there tv channels devoted solely to black people yeah. like why aren't there tv channels for white people? i'm like there are it's called abc cbs nbc and fox <laughs> yeah. um so yeah like why isn't there a white a white history i'm like it is you you learn it in your history classes yeah. all the time so yeah there's there is definitely a need to pay respect to the people that are not usually taught in these history classes. And I think that's the point of these, of these courses. I, I wanted to just touch on this a little bit is just kind of zoom out a little bit and just try to figure out like, you know, I guess it kind of lament maybe like the paranoia around this and the sense of it's indoctrinating just because it has content that is being expressed in a, political avenue that's not mine i guess is the paranoia that they think if that content is there it's normalizing it and they're associated and and to them normalizing it promoting it are pretty much the same thing like i don't know if i have a question here i'm just 
it's sad to me you want that me to help you out. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so, so there was uh, I remember listening. I don't know how many years ago this was, but it was a Texas school board meeting, and they were removing different things from their history content. Uh huh. Yeah. And I wanted to ask about this. And like uh, the guy said, Oscar Romero, who's this guy? I've never heard of him. Like, and he just sort of dismissed him. And and being uh, being the good Catholic schoolboy <laughs> uh, turned Jesuit educated bad Catholic schoolboy <laughs> uh, that I am, um, you know, Romero is probably you know one of my biggest heroes mm-hmm. uh, in in all of history, and. It's it starts the whole point is that it's it's in the curriculum because you don't know it. Yeah. Because you've never been taught this, because you've made it this long in your life. And I think that there is I mean, you you look throughout, especially in the US, but even in other country, other countries, you know, you think about the the cultural revolution in China. Knowledge gets out. Yeah. Like you can't, what is, what is true is ultimately going to be there. And this sort of war on ideas um, isn't like, if you paid any attention to the past, it's, it doesn't usually work out in your favor um, unless you've got a really, really, really large military force that you're willing to do to try to crush everyone who thinks differently than you. And then it, and then it, it still usually comes back to haunt you, uh, right, Robespierre? I mean, <laughs> you know, like it, like uh, so. I think, like in your, in terms of your question, um, there has to be some sort of blending done in U.S. history mm-hmm. of incorporating the groups that haven't been that once were not yeah. covered, and then as new scholars research new things you can you know write it better but you're still making choices right. even then so i don't i don't know if it's your awareness of it you know i i think sometimes it's my kids are learning these things i never learned yeah what must be you know is there something wrong with that um i don't you know hopefully everyone leaves a classroom just thinking yeah not indoctrinating i mean you you guys probably both know i mean what happens to the teachers that come in with the indoctrinating right. agenda right like, rebellion yeah. yeah like it's almost you can watch it you know it, you can see that it's it's going to happen um because the students are smarter are smart enough to realize that yeah so in terms of school boards and stuff, you know, I mean, it's just like a banned book list that's yeah. going to make a teenager want to go read it, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. So I don't know, that kind of plays around a little bit with yours. But I, yeah. I really think that it's being used for political gain. It's yeah. not It's not being, this isn't about pedagogy. This isn't about um um, the quality of the education the students yeah, are getting. Yeah, yeah. because the, edu- the quality of the edu- of a history education is more to do with the skills, right? Than um, and your ability to add content on your own later. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, 
that's that's far more important than anything else. Um, and you know, so it's I think it's more about a a political game and and the and this you know this sense of how we can play identity politics to our advantage. Um, yeah. And history, especially blank history that has an identity <laughs> attached to it, yeah. is uh, an easy is an easy uh, straw man yeah. to set on fire. And, and James, I, I think you touched on it really well. I think this is more an issue with familiarity than anything. Hmm. Like the parents want what their kids are learning to be the same as what they learned. And I yeah. think that most of the pushback on on these new ideas are coming more from the generation that isn't in school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Rather than the actual students. And yeah. I, I think there's just a fear of the unknown in all this, which is well, even at our the, school, the big problem. Even at our school, like I've told the head of school, like if someone asks you some question about this, just invite them to come to class. Right. Like come and sit in. You're more than welcome anytime. Right. Like, you know, uh, like I do, I just think that that's sort of the answer um, to the uh, person who thinks that a teacher is too woke, you know, feel free, come join in the discussion. As, as a parent, has there ever been a time where your kids have come home from school and, and told you about what they learned today and you, you like hesitated for a second Actually, today. <laughs> so today I'm driving back with uh, my son who's in third grade, and he's talking about uh, space and gravity and, and a whole slew of things. Okay. And he's talking about the astronaut who spent the longest time in space. And I said, was that Mark Kelly? And he's like, yeah, that's his name. And he's like, when he when he landed, he, he was five foot nine when he left. And then when he landed, he was five foot eleven. But <laughs> three days later, he was back to five nine. Um, you know, so like it's usually a lot of times it is science stuff. It rarely is, uh -huh. uh, but because um, I've tried to ignore most of that discipline for the last thirty yeah. years. But is that true? Do we I, know? We I, don't know. I don't know. That's what he learned. <laughs> no. I, 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 I trust his teacher. I've known her for 20 years too. So. Yeah. Nice. Um, so like, uh, but you got to look at it here, but, um, but yeah, so no, but the, I was just impressed that something that was so recent and I don't know if this was in a science book or something, some handout, but yeah, I guess, I guess when you spend over a year without a gravitational pull, you stretch out. <laughs> Um, yeah, there's something here about Mark Kelly growing two inches taller in space. Yeah, yeah. that's wild. My, my my son thought that was like a yeah. big advantage of being in space, and then you get taller. Um, yeah, so. that's why we want to go. And and I guess we are pretty fortunate teaching in the in the private realm that it's only going to be like local like parents who are objecting to things. We're never going to have to be worried about like politicians having to change our curriculum. I guess. Not politicians, it that way. parents. Yeah, <laughs> parents. Yeah, right. It's a it's a known entity. Yeah, but I think right. that uh, when your school has a has its mission laid out pretty clear, and you entrench in that, you know, I mean, there are schools that, you know, some of the uh, Christian schools or Christian academies 
you know, they are going to teach a certain way. It's yeah. grounded in your mission. Yeah. Um, and as a parent, you have a choice to choose that or not. And it's the same thing. Like our school is an Episcopal school. Mm-hmm. My kids go to a Catholic school. You kind of know what you, I think you sh- if the school does it well, you know what to expect, you know? So that's kind of where, where I think you, you fall back on, no, this is who we are. You know, mm-hmm. this is your, your child is going to be ready to go to college and is going to explore some ideas that right. you are the primary education educator of your child. Feel free to talk about these things at home. I, I hope that you do, but there's 10, 15 or in a bigger school, 25, 30 different sets of parents that right. I've got to teach to their kids. So you're going to have to trust us as the secondary educator, you know, and that's pretty much all you can do. Yeah. But you're right. We don't have to worry about the government coming to take us away. <laughs> Joe, did you ever well, feel? Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I'm still yet to offend a parent for teaching the quadratic formula. <laughs> yeah. I don't oh, have yeah, to worry about lucky, that too much. Yeah. Those, those lucky math teachers. So. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's usually uh, English and history teachers. Right. So, but I've seen it actually in science too. Yeah, I can I can see it happening in science. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, I've I've seen it, um, and not just evolution. Mm. Um, um, well, if you start teaching health class next year, you might end up with with parents <laughs> for that as well. Yeah, that, that's a total that's a totally different sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, the world is round. <laughs> Joe, did you ever feel like you got indoctrinated too? Indoctrinated. I, I feel like there were teachers that that maybe wore their political hearts on their sleeves more than others. I did not. From from what I heard, if I had a specific history teacher in high school, it could have happened, but I uh-huh. didn't have him. Uh-huh. Yeah, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. And I had I had several teachers on very different ends of the spectrum politically. But but you never got like they never like impose that. No, and, and I mean the the maybe the only example I could think of is the uh, teacher who used to be an air traffic controlman, and <laughs> yeah. he had a few things to say about Ronald Reagan. But yeah. <laughs> other than that, yeah, right, right, I mean, right. other than that, I, not really. Yeah, yeah. How about you? Um, well, I went to you guys went to public school. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I went to Catholic elementary school and Catholic high school in the Archdiocese of Atlanta. And um, and then I went to Xavier mm-hmm. uh, for college. The only thing I, and I wouldn't say it was indoctrinating. The only thing, when I look back, I mean, I, I felt I was prepared very well to think critically about every issue and all sorts of things. But I don't think there were multiple sides of abortion okay presented yeah. Yeah. um i do think that there are plenty of other issues that challenge catholic teaching that um were presented mm. in a um with multiple viewpoints yes yeah, but they just I mean, weren't willing to engage that yeah i mean we had a health class video that won like some big award that was like <laughs> that the hero was captain condom <laughs> And it's oh, the 10th Catholic high school. Wow. Um, I guess that yeah. I mean, maybe it was because it's right in the heart of the AIDS epidemic. Right. Um, 
but and I don't know if the Catholic schools would do that right now. But like, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that all of the, but I also that all of it was talked about um, in the way that it would be talked about later. But I also mm-hmm. sometimes wonder how age appropriate that might have been. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that there are some things that like some parts of American history teachers didn't delve into because of the sensitivity or yeah. around them. Yeah. Um, you know, especially in the South, you know, but I, you know, I, but I don't, I don't really feel anyone was, it wasn't like anyone was forcing me to think a certain way. Yeah. It just maybe, I think we all end up limited by the culture in which we're raised and the, the places in which yeah. we're educated and, and what is the limits of their thinking there. Uh, any other questions, Joe? No, I, I think we've uh, we've hit a lot of this. Appreciate you coming on, James. Yeah, uh, was, this is a really a good talk. Stuff. How about how about you tell us a story from your your teaching? Okay, so we'll, we'll go ahead and like go stick with the African American history theme. Yeah, um, and I'll just preface this: I replaced an African American teacher who, when I got to our school. This there the African American students. He was theirs. I mean, he mm. was he was their big brother. He was young. He was he was everything to them. And without him, I could see something was really missing for them. Because um, I like lived right in the dorm where he had lived, and um, they lived right down the hall and everything. So I kind of this was my way of being able to offer them something. But over the years, it, it's turned into some of the most interesting questions, interesting conversations in a classroom, too. Um, usually because the class has been, you know, we already have small classes, but it's smaller. Um, and usually more views are represented. And, you know, like, I mean, there was one time there was a student, he's telling something, a white student, he's telling about his family and and the other classmates are like, dude, your your uncle was in the clan. Like, you know, like he didn't really understand like what he was saying. But where it where like a conversation can be like that. But um, so I'll tell this story. They were um there was this whole conversation like uh between the students, like, do you get followed more? What's it when you go into a store, like what do you really have to be aware of? And things like that. And they they had kept, you know, they were having this one class kept having conversations with each other along those lines. And um the the one thing that um um so they all went on some trip. I can't remember where it was. Um, but a student that was not in the class, um this conversation sounded like it had spilled over to the bus uh-huh. or the dorm or somewhere. So the one one of the white students uh, stood out, stood like in a position where he could see and had one of the African-American students go through the store. And they they were they all came back to like, Mr. Euler, Mr. Euler, he got followed everywhere. And like and I'm like, <laughs> and I, I, you know, this is not really something I want to celebrate or laugh right. at. Um, but I, I think that's also why all of this is kind of important is we have to lay some sort of platforms 
yeah. for them to be able to to comfortably talk about these things. Um, you know, I don't, you know, thank God for one of my closest African-American friends in high school calling me out. And really, I didn't know what he was talking about then. Um, but he planted seeds and mm-hmm. they grew. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like that, uh, that story kind of, even though it's supposed to be a funny story, like it's kind of sad or kind of yeah. true, but it's also like why we're in this business, right? you know, we're in this business to, uh, so we can grow so they can grow and so on and so forth. Um, so that's that Yeah. since, uh, um, but no, but thank you. Thank you guys for having me on now. All right. Let's get to some trivia, Joe. Um, it's your turn to answer a question, right? Yeah, bring it on. All right, so I'm going into chat GPT and I'm going to ask the same prompt we've asked the last two weeks, which is uh, give me a medium difficulty trivia question. All right, uh, what is the smallest planet in our solar system by both size and mass? Now, is this uh Am I am I going to pull a, a Burton Guster? <laughs> you hear about Pluto? I don't. That's I don't. Up? Know. I don't know. Um, oh, gosh. And am it. I going to pull a George where I go? I I just base it off what Chat GPT responds, or do I need to actually do the research to find the correct answer here? Mar. <laughs> all right. Can you just tell me is Pluto, Pluto is all? Pluto is not an option. Are we counting Pluto or not? Well, it's Chat GPT, which like postdates Pluto. Um, okay. Do not answer Pluto there. All right. Uh, that's what I figured. I'm, I'm going to go with Mars. Correct letter, wrong planet. Mercury? Mercury. Mercury is the smallest by both size and mass. What? I could have helped you out because my first grade science project, I made the solar system out of Plato. Love it. Pluto was a planet then. Yeah. But... um. And, but I remember the size of of everything. The real takeaway here is Pluto should still be a planet. Yeah, although it's messed if, up. If our former guest Jack Lynch was on, he'd probably tell us why it's not. So, but yeah, would you have got that, Jamil? Um, without Pluto, yeah, I think I would have. I knew, mm. I would not have said Mars. But anyway, so yeah, the streak the yeah. continues. Your yep. debt to drinking Lacroix. Also, I think I'm up to three. Yeah. So send those pictures in. The the fans yeah. want to, see, or at least I do. But <laughs> all right, this has run long, but it's been a very good, uh, fruitful conversation. So with lots that, I think we'll uh, yeah, lots of editing coming up. We'll uh, we'll sign off. So our sign off phrase is "Learn them good." And so since you're the guest, you can say that as we sign off. Oh, my gosh. I won't tell you. Oh, you're a former English department chair. (laughs) All right, everyone. Go learn them good. See you, everybody. See you, everyone.